It's time for JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? If you're not behind Mark Davis after this, and you don't think that Mark Davis has the mind to go all in, now you have to look at the situation differently and what he's doing for you as a fan base to give you hope to win. JT the Brick. That's his job. He's the owner of the team. He's got to have an opportunity to win championships. Mark's told me a hundred times in private settings what a Super Bowl would mean to him personally. And it means more to the fan base for him than it does to him. So Mark went all in. Just win, baby. That's what they got to do. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. JT with you. Hour number two on Raider Nation Radio. Brought to you by Resorts World. Inside Resorts World. It's paradise when you take a look at the size and strength of that casino, but they have Doghouse, our place for sports. Uh, we could have an appearance there next week ahead of the draft. We'll tell you all about that. Uh, next Thursday and Friday, we are on the road. Uh, we'll be hosting a big radio remote from Modelo out at Caesars on the Strip and Friday at Dre's for the Raiders draft party. That'll be Friday, and then Saturday I'll be at M Resort Spawn Casino for an event from 6 to 8 p.m. The entire lineup here on Raider Nation Radio is ready to roll. So we'll be out all over town, and we hope you are too. We hope that everybody who's coming into town doesn't overthink it. Just get right to the strip. Come find where we're going to be at from Vinny Bonsignor, Q, Clay, all the shows that we have here on the channel. We are assuming that you're going to be out there, and we're going to have a great time. Warren Moon, kind enough to join us, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and we're ahead of the draft. Looking forward to catching up with him. Warren, how you doing? You look like you're in great shape. I'm sure you're hitting the golf ball, getting outside. How are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty good, JT. How about yourself? It's, uh, it's getting that time of the year. you got to start getting your body ready for the spring <laughs> and the summer for those swimsuits and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to diet down and uh, hit the gym a little bit more. Hey, Warren, let's begin on a serious note. I've talked to you about this for decades. I thought one of the biggest injustices in sports history, not NFL history, is you were undrafted in 1978 after the Rose Bowl MVP, the brilliant career you had in Washington. And now I see players today that are going to come out in the first round who possibly are going to be reaches at the quarterback position. How do you look at the draft every year knowing the injustice that was done to you? You know, the thing I'm proud of, JT, is that I was able to help make some change in what people are doing with the quarterback position now, especially for, for African-American quarterbacks, because uh, there was a time when you weren't a guy that was you know, highly sought after or whatever, or, or, or that you uh, maybe had some deficiencies in your game. You weren't even considered to be able to play the position. You were going to be moved to another position, and that was, that was the thing that was told to me coming out of college, that I was probably going to have to change positions, either a defensive back or, or wide receiver. So that's why I chose to play in Canada. But nowadays, uh, they're giving all these guys an opportunity, even if they might have a deficiency, to, uh, to de- let them develop and, and let them become a quarterback down the road. Uh, a lot of these guys are ready to play and, and, and they're being drafted very high that way. But if you're not, uh, they're still being drafted as quarterbacks maybe a little bit further down the road in, in the draft, but they're developed to, uh, to maybe play one day. So there's been a huge change since, and, and I'm proud that I played a little bit of part of that. You played a huge part in it, and that brings me to Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty. I think that, Warren, is a perfect example of the impact that you had because he seems to have the tools, the big arm, can do everything but a bit of a reach. And Seattle, one of your former teams, could take him at nine. There's even interest at number six by Carolina here where he looks to be a type of player 
that has to be developed over a couple of years. But with these new rookie contracts, you get a young player, you want to get him in there as soon as possible. Yeah, you want to get him in there and start developing him and, and getting him ready for the offense that you're going to run. And, it, and if a team is smart, and what a lot of teams have done, I've seen over the last maybe five, seven years, is they're taking what that player did great in college and incorporating it into his offense in the pros so it, it doesn't make his learning curve as as, uh, as wide. And uh, he comes in and has a little bit more success because he's comfortable running the things that he had success with in college. So I think you'll see that same thing with, with this young kid kid coming in from Liberty. He's probably not the most polished guy, but he, like you said, has a lot of ability. He's got a, a, a really powerful arm. He has a really good legs as far as being able to run the ball. And the way the game has changed now, you have to have a quarterback that has some mobility to go along with a strong arm. Uh, and he's got both of those. So it's just a matter of just getting him more reps and getting him up to speed on, on what that offense is. He's going to be running for whatever team drafts him. Hall of Famer Warren Moon is our guest. That's a really good point. Similar to Trey Lance, I think you'd agree, now in San Francisco where they got to get him out on the field. He's got tremendous ability but wasn't polished, didn't play at a high competitive level in a conference in college. And Jimmy Garoppolo looks like trade bait, but if you put in Trey Lance with that Super Bowl quality roster, it might take a year or two. Yeah, he got a chance to get his feet wet a couple of times last year and looked pretty good, but there was uh, it was obvious that he wasn't ready to be the full-time starter. But I think now having an, an a whole, whole other offseason, having been through a season just to kind of see what the whole thing is about with the lights on and everything, I think he will be ready to play this year. And I think the 49ers feel the same way. I think that's one of the reasons why they're not going to have Jimmy Garoppolo come out there and, and rehab his shoulder around the organization. They're going to continue to keep trying to look – for a trade partner uh, to move him on because I think they feel like Trey Lance is ready to play. Uh, Warren, I wanted to ask you about Derek Carr's contract. Clearly, it would seem to be, I think, flexible for the Raiders because they got Devontae Adams, they re-signed Max Crosby, and Derek did a deal with not a lot of guaranteed money, but he should be on the roster with Devontae, and that guaranteed money will hit year after year. When you saw the news about Carr, were you surprised that the Raiders did the extension or you knew it was a lock because he's played at a high level? I think it was a lock because he is at a high level. And if you look at it, JT, he's still about $10 million under Mm-hmm. under Deshaun Watson and also Aaron Rodgers. So they're probably getting a bargain. But, you know, this is a guy that threw for almost 5,000 yards last year, didn't have a lot of great outside uh, receiving talent. I think Hunter Renfro was probably his best receiver, um, and he's more of a slot receiver. And, and then you lose Henry Ruggs early in the season with that whole tragedy, tragedy but still somehow – Derek was able to be very, very um, productive, and I think the more important and more impressive thing that he did last year was the way he led that football team through all the controversy and tragedy that happened throughout the year, whether it was the rug situation or or the firing of uh, of their head coach. All those different things. Uh, Derek was one of the big leaders in that locker room that kept that team together and helped them get to a playoff. Warren Moon joins us. You know, Warren, I've known you a long time. I like connecting people. I've seen you connect people when you meet them for the first time. And I might be overreaching here, but have you reached out or can you get in touch with Baker Mayfield and potentially help him here? At this stage, I'm a massive Baker Mayfield fan. My son goes to Oklahoma. He, he, all he did, he, he took Cleveland to the playoffs and played injured. He broke the rookie quarterback touchdown record when he came in. I think there's so much upside, but a level of... I wouldn't say immaturity. He's got a great wife and he's got commercials, but I don't know what's going to happen to him next. I think Seattle 
should jump all over him, but they don't want to pay the price of that contract. What would you advise Baker Mayfield to do at this time? I think the biggest thing Baker needs to do is just stop talking. Stop talking to the media. Stop talking through social media. And just uh, keep continuing to work, get himself healthy, because you know he's coming off of a, of a, a shoulder injury and a shoulder surgery. And just get himself ready to play so wherever he ends up going, he can go in and really compete and, and do a great job. Because like you said, he's a talented guy. He's shown that he can play in this league. He's shown at different times he can play at a very high level. But he keeps getting himself in trouble with all the comments that he makes all the time. And, and he's a very sensitive guy. He wears his, his uh, emotions on his sleeve. And sometimes that, that gets in the way, especially at the quarterback position. You can't be that type of guy at the quarterback position. You've got to be very calm and collected and kind of even keeled at that position if you're going to be a leader. You can't be up and down like he is. And I think that's the thing that really um, concerns a lot of teams about maybe bringing him in. What are they getting, uh, not just the the, uh, the physical player, but what are they getting on the emotional and the, and the mental side of it? That That's what I think people are worried about. Yeah, Warren, what's amazing about your career is we started off undrafted in 1978. Edmonton from 78 to 83 and now Baker's in this early part of his career where you weren't even in the NFL and you were excelling he's been in the NFL and some people think he could be done or or he's not going to get that chance I just think he needs the proper advice because as you know your career was so long if Baker gets it right and figures it out now he could have a very long career there's no question that he can and uh, again he's got to get healthy first of all but he's got to get with the right situation where they're going to take advantage of the things that he does best. There's no question he needs some pieces around him in order to be successful because he's not going to be one of those guys that can just drop back and beat you with his arm, you know, 30, 40 throws a game. He's he's going to be more of a, a play action guy, and he needs a running game. And he showed showed that was true in, in Cleveland when he had the pieces around him. He was a very effective quarterback. So. He's got to pick the right place where he ends up going, but he's got to make sure that that team has confidence in him. And the only reason they're going to have confidence in him is by the things that he's saying prior to. And he's not helping himself right now with some of the things he keeps saying publicly. Wrapping it up with Warren Moon, kind with his time. So we spent some time last time. You told some Pro Bowl stories from all the trips you went to. What did you typically do in the offseason when you started to become a Pro Bowler when you got all your work in, how did you connect with your receivers, off-season work, the amount of time you committed to the sport and your training? Yeah, we didn't do as much as they're doing these days where these guys are all flying to different destinations and, and working out together. And I think it's a great thing to be able to do that. But when, when you're making $40 million a, a year or whatever these guys are making, it's, it's easier to do that. Where, uh, you know, back in the day, we got together in the off-season, no question about it, and we had more... Um, more time in our facility, our own facilities, or we went to a high school locally or whatever with the guys who who, who stayed locally uh, in Houston. But um, it, it's a little bit different the way they do things now, and, and I think it's great because it's it's very uh, good good team building, not only the workouts that you're getting, but you're also getting a chance to know these guys off the field and know the things they like and dislike and what's going on in their families. And you, and you learn you learn them on a different uh, uh, personal uh, basis. And, and I think uh, it, it's great that it creates that chemistry that your team needs throughout a long season. So I like what they're doing right now, and I'm, I just wish we would have done more of that when I was playing. I'm assuming the two-a-days when you played were really tough, but I never asked you this. How much of the preseason did you typically play? 
I loved playing in the preseason because I thought I needed the time and the work to get myself ready for the season. But, you know, it was four preseason games, but, you know, you'd play a quarter the first game, mm-hmm. maybe a quarter and a half the second one. You'd go into the third quarter on the on the third one. And then I actually liked playing in the fourth preseason game just to at least start the game, get a couple of, of uh, series under my belt, and then come out, not not go two weeks without playing a game because I felt like you'd be rusty going into the season. So I tried to play as much as I possibly could to get myself ready to play. Finally, what do you have coming up with signings, appearances? What's new on your schedule here over the next couple of weeks heading into the draft and after that going to Canton? Well, you know, I have a, a, a foundation called Brothers in Arms. Uh, it's, it's a foundation that creates scholarships for, uh, for single kids that come from single mom homes like I did and like Andre Ware, who's in this with me, and also Vince Young. We started this foundation three years ago. We're going to have a, a golf tournament uh, in about two weeks in Houston, and uh, we're raising money for our next scholarship class for next year. So we've given out... Uh, 11 scholarships now over the last three years, and we'll try and give out another four or five this next year coming up, and it's something we're really passionate about. Appreciate your time, Warren, as always. Hope to see you soon. Thanks for doing this. All right. Thanks a lot, JT. Thanks for having me. You take care, my man. You got it. Warren Moon, great to talk to him. How great is that? I mean, Warren Moon, and I, I cannot stress this enough, and I don't do it every interview with him, but the fact that that gentleman wasn't drafted is I'm not just, we're talking about Jackie Robinson and the color barrier. We're talking about Muhammad Ali and the abuse that Cassius Clay got when he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. You know how much and how well I know Jim Brown. Jim Brown had a big impact on my career when I uh, had him on the radio all the time. You tell me one of the biggest NFL injustices than Warren Moon going undrafted in 1978. Undrafted. He was the Rose Bowl MVP, the Pac-8 co-player of the year. He was brilliant, and they wanted him to change his position to cornerback or wide receiver. Then what does he do? Oh, nothing. He goes up to the Edmonton Eskimos and wins five great cup championships. Why not after the second or the third? Did someone in the NFL just look around and say, oh, my God, what were we thinking? You know the quarterbacks back in those years. Uh, Snake Stabler. One of our favorites, right? You go from 79 to 80 into the Plunkett era. And we're watching Warren Moon in the year 1980, 81, 82. You know, big years, 83 in Raider history. And Warren Moon isn't available to play in the NFL. I I mean, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating everybody. I think we have to say that's one of the top injustices when it comes to racial issues in the history of football. I mean, there were several other African-American quarterbacks before Warren and look at so many after him. But just think of the the quarterbacks who didn't get a chance and had that type of ability. And what, what blows me away the most about Warren is how humble he is. Back then, he was a can't miss. Now I'm looking at this Malik Willis kid and I'm looking at the tape and we're seeing him and he's got this big arm and he could be a miss. So if they take him number six or number nine and he doesn't develop, look at Jordan Love. Jordan Love gets drafted in the first round by the Green Bay Packers. They kind of use that to play leverage with Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love is a backup, if that. But he got a chance to play as an African-American quarterback. He got a chance to unseat the white Aaron Rodgers. Didn't work out for him yet, and I hope that he lands somewhere. He could be an excellent player. We just haven't seen him enough. Warren Moon, the Hall of Famer. I hope you enjoyed that. I'd like you to have a reaction to that interview. Uh, What do you think of Warren and the history of the quarterback position? 
and the quarterbacks that could be going, and they're going to go in this draft. There looks like there's going to be three that are going. Corral's going to jump in there, Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. Uh, those are the names that probably go early. And last year there was a huge run on the quarterback early. Huge run. Also, speaking of quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson showed up today to Cleveland in a look like a snowstorm. Hey, Vegas, how cool is it with our weather today? They showed Deshaun Watson walking into the facility, and you can't see him in between the snowflakes. It was snowing that hard there, only in Cleveland. So that is fascinating to me. And then speaking of quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes will compete against Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. They just announced the June version of the match, and that will be at Wynn Golf Club again. So another big event for Vegas you're going to have Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, and Josh Allen. And that will be June 1st at Wynn Golf Club. Now, I believe it's $750 a round to play Wynn, unless you're a high roller and you're losing 30000 a night there and they'll let you play for free. You know how that works. But we played there at the Raider Foundation event about a month ago. It's the first time I ever played Wynn. And I was just blown away. You know, from playing Shadow Creek and been lucky enough to play Southern Highlands and a couple of golf courses out here. When I went out to win, I understood the whole reason why. The waterfalls, the strip, you're hitting these golf shots into these greens with the casinos leaning over on you, the new sphere there. It was a beautiful place, and obviously it'll be private. Brady and Rogers, who are veterans of the match, will take on newcomers, Allen and Mahomes. It's a 12-hole competition starting at 3.30 p.m. our time, making it primetime viewing on Turner Sports on the East Coast. Whether spectators will be allowed on the course has yet to be decided, according to Turner Sports. I don't know why you wouldn't have people out there. A great column today by Greg Robertson in the Las Vegas Review-Journal. How do you not open that up to fans that win and let them see that magical golf course? The match began in 2018. Uh, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson battled at Shadow Creek. So this is pretty cool as they play golf here in this town which we love that. It's great promotion for Vegas and golf. Thanks again to Warren Moon. Opens up a line if you'd like to compliment Warren on his career and compare it to the draft today. That's why we had him on, 702-365-9200, as we are brought to you by our great friends at Sam and Ash. If you get into a car accident, you need a great personal injury attorney. Get to the side of the road. Get safe. Do not talk to an insurance claim adjuster. Do not talk to anybody. Call Sam and Ash. They'll guide you through it, 702-820-1234, 702-820-1234. We have busy shows the rest of the week. Chris Myers from the NFL on Fox, he also called the race. He was the host and the postgame host of the Bristol race coming up here. As Vegas is a NASCAR town, we'll talk to him later on in the show. And Raider fans, anytime from here on out till next Thursday or Friday, if you think that the Raiders are sensing about moving up, maybe getting a player, there's a player you like, or you think that Dave Ziegler should just hold tight. As of now, I think that Dave Ziegler should hold tight. I'd like to see what Dave can do with that third-round pick unless he sees a player that he has to get, and that player is available with the 35th pick, the 42nd pick, whatever that pick is, and that's the guy they're focused on, and then they go out there and pounce. We know that these guys are stealth. We know that they're not going to tell us. And I would not be shocked after Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, uh, the trade for Yannick Ngakwe, 
for Rakia Sin and the way they pulled that off. So far, it's been an unbelievable offseason when it comes to upgrading the Raiders. And that says a lot. They won 10 games last year. JT, Raider Nation Radio. My initial reaction was a little bit of shock. I mean, even though you, you knew that this was a possibility, just playing with a guy that you've played and built a friendship with over the last uh, six years, it definitely was something that you didn't want him to leave more for the just being able to hang out in the locker room and do that stuff than the actual on-the-field stuff. Um, but you're happy for him, man. I mean, he, he got a great contract. Obviously, he's back uh, where he has a house in the offseason around a lot of his family and stuff like that. Patrick Mahomes talking about the move of Tyreek Hill to Miami. JT, we appreciate you coming back. We're brought to you by Modelo, an official cerveza of the Las Vegas Raiders. You'll have an opportunity next Thursday to meet me on the strip and have a bucket of Modelos with me as we head into the draft on Thursday. Like to know what your plans are, but we can save that for next week. So Tyreek Hill being out of the AFC West is massive for the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders had no answer for him. No answer. It was an absolute failure from every coaching staff that was put together in Oakland and in Vegas to stop him. And you got to just tip your cap. You know, back in the day, the Raiders couldn't stop uh, LaDainian Tomlinson. They were able to stop Phillip Rivers and Antonio Gates, but they couldn't stop Tomlinson. And from time to time, you see a player like that. So Andy Reid was asked also, as they're getting the team together on Kelsey and Mahomes, because they lost Hill, can those guys keep it going as they try to get a fill-in guy? We'll play that Andy Reid when we get it here momentarily. It's an important soundbite. Here's Andy Reid on the move as Hill is gone. Myself and Brett kept it wide open with Patrick um, as part of playing that position. Uh, there's a pretty good chance there, there's change going to take place uh, throughout your career. And so um, that, that's, that's all part of it. Um, and, and so – and. You know, I also mentioned it to Kels, just so so he had a heads up on it too. Just, I mean, those guys are are very close, and the, the three of them, and have had a lot of production for us. So, um, but it's important that they, they they see that part of it. That's part of this game, and and uh, change does take place. So, uh, and and I think uh, you you know I. You beat around the bush on it. I don't think that's good either. I'm, I'm kind of up front, and this is what it is, and this is the plan going forward. I think the biggest obvious test for Patrick Graham, the Raiders, what we're going to see with the defense this year is how they match up with Kansas City in two games without Tyreek Hill. Now there's no more excuse for Kelsey. There's no more because excuses die the Raiders. The key with Kansas City, as everyone in Raider Nation knows, is that the misdirection plays – where Kelsey would start one way and not get hit off the line of scrimmage and Tyreek Hill would be in motion. Those are two great Hall of Fame players, and the Raiders couldn't decide on the poison. Who are they going to double team? It was such a confusing game plan every time I talked to the coach about that game, and they never had the answer to it. And now this new Raiders staff that comes in has to have the answer because there's no more Tyreek Hill. And without Tyreek Hill, it should be easier to do it. Now, Andy Reid's a great play caller. Eric Bieniemy, Mahomes can make plays outside the pocket, but to get Tyreek Hill 
out of the AFC West. That's cause for celebration. One other quick NFL story before we get to Chris Myers is Tom Brady is launching a new apparel company for golf. So the Brady brand. So earlier today, he had an exclusive interview with ESPN. It was full of softballs. No major questions were asked about the offseason and the story surrounding his interest potentially with the Dolphins. Uh, Mike Florio writes, one of the biggest stories in the NFL continues to be completely ignored by one of the biggest outlets covering the league. Brady retired on February 1st with a plan to become a minority owner of the Dolphins and an executive, and eventually the starting quarterback. The Dolphins wanted to pair him with Sean Payton, the former New Orleans coach. The new interview didn't mention any of that. None of it. Then there's the 40-day retirement, followed by 17 days later, the abrupt resignation of Bruce Arians. When this happened, I told you it was a massive deal, and Brady wasn't approached on it at all by ESPN in this fluff interview. And there's not much to the article, as Florio talks about. It's a plugging article for Brady's new golf apparel. But a lot of people want to know what's going on with Brady. And if, if you like a good conspiracy theory, everybody, then Brady would play this year with Tampa. And he's going to go to the playoffs and have a shot to win a Super Bowl in Tampa. At the end of the year, he's able to leave. If he's in great shape, he and Giselle are building a mansion in Miami. He can go to Miami on a one-year deal. One-year deal, be the quarterback for his final season, be minority owner of the team and an executive. And Stephen Ross, the biggest benefactor and donor to Michigan, with Tom Brady played, they'll be joined together and then Brady for the rest of his career as an executive after football will be competing against the Patriots and Robert Kraft. I think Robert Kraft should come in and offer, pay, uh, offer Tom Brady a lifetime job, an absolute lifetime job with the Patriots to make sure this doesn't happen. Chris in West Oakland checking in on the Raiders and I'm assuming the dubs as the Warriors keep winning. Absolutely. First off, that is an unbelievable story about Brady, but I I don't know about Brady working with Belichick in any capacity with him, but it, I mean, the, the, the guy could literally be the general manager and the starting quarterback. It, it, if anybody could pull it off, it would be Tom Brady, but that's going to be an interesting one to follow. And, you know, you mentioned about Tyreek Hill. It's great that he's out of the division, JT. The Raiders had no answer, but the comment you made about the coaching staffs haven't there's been multiple coaching staffs. The reason the Raiders haven't been able to talk, control Tyreek Hill, like many of the much of the NFL, is they don't have the coverage guys. They don't have the speed in the secondary. All the scheme in the world doesn't make up for that kind of speed. And hopefully with some of the defensive pickups this year, well, one, it's nice that he's out of the division, but two, we'll have guys in the secondary that can actually locate the football and cover. But you're right, it's the, the Warriors. I was going to call the night show. When I called last week when the matchups were set, I gave you my prediction. I said it was all predicated on health. Well, I said a healthy Warrior team beats the Nuggets in six or five. I thought without Steph, I still thought they could beat this team. But there's no doubt in my mind right now, JT, we might be looking at a sweep, but I'll never call a sweep in an NBA game. I'll say Warriors in five. They just have too much firepower. They play it. A, this is the team we thought we were going to see all year long. Now they're finally together. And now that Jordan Poole looks like he's a legitimate fourth wheel with Andrew Wiggins and Draymond playing center, good luck stopping this team. And not just stopping this team, even when the Warriors go small, JT, 
they, they're one of the top two or three rated defensive teams in the NBA. They're fun to watch. The way they move the ball, they, way, they play with the pace. And I said this before, the kryptonite to Chris Paul has always been Steph Curry. The Warriors are coming out of the West, and if they stay healthy and play like this, JT, they're going to hang a banner in the Chase Center because there's no team in the NBA that can match this team's firepower up and down the roster, and that includes the New Jersey Nets with just Kyrie and Durant. But it's been proven pretty much head cases don't usually win championships. I don't think the Nets are going to get out of the first round. They're going to lose to Boston. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, Chris, I couldn't disagree with you more. I don't think Draymond's covering Jokic, which is incredible, but I don't think he could cover Aiton and Chris Paul. And Phoenix, to me, is significantly better than the Warriors. But as he mentioned, Paul, what an X factor he is. The Warriors found another potential superstar to take over for Clay eventually, and that's going to be special to see. I like the way the Warriors are playing now. Uh, they're figuring it out, but Denver's two men down. They're two men down, and, and that's a big deal. But if the Warriors can play, what they're going to have to do is they got to sweep Denver now. You know, Denver's going back home. The crowd's going to be crazy. I would think they'd give Jokic the MVP. I think he's going to win the MVP over Giannis and Embiid. And if they're going to do that, they, they, you want to give him that trophy quickly and not wait till he's eliminated. I don't know what the calendar's like there exactly, but Warriors look great. The NBA playoffs have been fantastic. I cannot wait for tomorrow. We'll have the Celtics and the Nets in game two. I can't believe they haven't since Sunday. That's going to be a battle in the biggest way. NBA playoffs are fantastic. It always is. Uh, I like the Warriors to play Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals, and I think it'll be Miami and Boston going up against it. Maybe Giannis, the reigning champ, could get in there too. East is the top four in the East are going to battle it out, and it's very physical. All right, my friend Chris Myers kind enough to join us from the NFL on Fox and NASCAR on Fox as he's probably still taking the mud out of his suit and his boots after the Bristol race. Kyle Busch and what happened there. Chris, thanks for joining us, and great job. What a race that went into primetime. How are you? Uh, it's good to talk to you. By the way, uh, folks that listen to Sports Talk Radio do appreciate, uh, JT, that you are so well-rounded, uh, well-versed on a number of sports, not just our, our NFL baseball. And I've always been a big supporter of uh, NASCAR along with so many other different sports that you keep track of. And, yeah, it was a special night to have the, the short track, you know, the Bristol Motor Speedway, that eastern Tennessee, Virginia meets the state there. They, they have this coliseum that's – at times had over 100,000 fans here. We didn't get quite the kind of crowd, but they tried the dirt last year. Then they moved the race to, to Easter. Usually the NASCAR, at least in the last couple of decades, didn't run a lot on Easter Sunday to try to make it a primetime event. You know, like the NFL has a Christmas Day game or Thanksgiving or the NBA tips off on Christmas. And, and so the weather kind of played havoc with things or a couple of interesting controversial decisions made although they were accurate within the rules when they froze the field after a stage and the rain came but eventually you're right they got it all in i think there was an hour and 45 minutes of red flag uh, stoppage because of weather uh, but they were able to get the complete race and had a great finish at the end where kyle bush right the champion who's been a two-time champion of the sport had won in 25 races uh in his toyota he didn't lead uh, until the final lap he led one lap and the final lap of 250 laps of the race. And for Tyler Reddick, a guy who has run so well, was having a chance to win his first cup race of his career, he gets taken out by Chase Briscoe at, at the very end to open the door for, for Kyle Busch. So it was exciting. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a cool event. Yeah, Chris, it's amazing. In the history of NASCAR, that's happened often where 
on super speedways, you stay behind the big wreck at Daytona or Talladega and make sure when it comes, because you know it's coming, you're able to get away from it, and then you drive through the smoke and you get to the front, maybe you'll win. The dirt track race was really unique to me. I didn't like all the stoppages and all the cautions. I know there was a weather delay, but, you know, those cars are sliding so much on the short track. Is that something we're all going to get used to? Because I know they don't have enough, a lot of other dirt races there because there's a lot of chances for sliding collisions and bumping into each other and having to clear the track all the time. Yeah, and it's the weight of a, of a car that's 3,400, 3,500 pounds on what is dirt and that it could turn into mud. You know, they mm-hmm. have layers. It's a certain kind of dirt. Uh, and, and, of course, going back to grassroots racing where people run on dirt, they're, they're different cars. So not these aren't the, the top-level cup cars or the top-level drivers. And that's why they tried this last year and they had a rain delay. So if it doesn't, if you don't have the weather problem, I don't, you'll still get cautions. But I don't think you'll see as much as what you were talking about with the sliding. And the, then there was the mud in the grill. And, of course, the windshield invisibility uh, becomes an issue. That's a combination of the weather and the dirt. But then when if you don't wet the track, you're going to have dust. So it adds an element. Some drivers, some of the old school drivers, I know Kevin Harvick wasn't thrilled about it. Some of the younger guys, you know, they're like, look, it's a, we run on super speedways. We run on mile and a half tracks. Uh, you know, it's different. It's a different approach to racing and to have this one dirt track race a year, which I think they're going to keep. I mean, some fans don't like it, but, but I think it's here to stay for a while. I think it just creates a different kind of strategy. When Joey Logano won last year, he was not thought of as a dirt track guy. There are certain drivers like a Kyle Larson, uh, you know, even a Chase Briscoe, uh, who kind of came up through those ranks. So they're just a little bit more familiar, again, not at the cup level with, with dirt. Uh, but they didn't necessarily have to shine. Daniel Suarez almost won this race with, with Pitbull Racing. So uh, it, it, it really relates more to the, the newer car this year, where I think it's a great equalizer no matter which track you're running on, JT, because we've had drivers, you know, Austin Sindrick, you know, Daytona 500 is a wild card race anyway, but uh, we have Kyle Larson won and then Kyle Busch. We've had drivers, three first-time winners in their career. We've had like 60-1 to one and 30-1 to one long shots if you're betting in Vegas or watching the odds on this. So it, it really has been a little bit more of a balanced season, and we're just, you know, just nine races in, really a quarter of the season, almost at a third of, of the chase uh, toward the uh, toward the playoffs. So it's, it's just been a little bit more balanced and competitive. Uh, still, the Hendrick Chevrolets overall have been the more dominant group or team, I should say, and yet Chase Elliott, who's won the championship a couple of years ago, has yet to win a race for for that team. So it's it's gone along with the uh, the L.A. Coliseum race where they tried the clash. That was more of an exhibition to start the Daytona 500. But NASCAR is doing different things to attract different fans and expand the TV audience, and, and the ratings are definitely up this year. Chris Myers from Fox joins us. Chris, I've been dying to ask you about Kyrie Irving. Well, what I wanted to ask you is you being on the sidelines for so many iconic sporting events, when you hear fans that are that loud against an individual player and many using profanity, getting personal, you've been there for that as close as anybody I've ever met. And Kyrie took the bait and double flipped off the fans multiple times. A fine's coming. What do you think of that overall when you're, when you're in the middle of it and you're, you're seeing it and you see some players act accordingly and others, they let it get the best of them. It's a hard spot to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I was there. Well, obviously, this this uh, it was a different, not necessarily a fan reaction, uh, but uh, the you know uh, with Antonio Brett with with the Buccaneers, you know, with what happened yeah. in, when he was with the, ran off on the field. I was there years ago when Randy Moss did kind of the slide and the half mooning. Remember in that 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was the Green Bay Minnesota game, uh, and and yes, uh, around Charles Barkley, where when back when he was even playing and would yell back at fans. That's one thing, but w- yeah, I, you know it's it's tough, JT, when you you try to. The most players will block that out and try not to listen, but sometimes if they hear something that's personal, it's a it's a trigger, and they they just have to be better at that. And and I, look, fans to me, uh, you could boo and cheer. I I think there are some boundaries right in society that. Uh, obviously, you don't you don't throw anything, but I but I think some things just shouldn't be so mean spirited or personal. You keep it related to the game. You know, hey, you suck at you know you're missing shots or you didn't show up for this or you've struck whatever. That 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 comes with the territory. And again, I don't know all that all that was said. I mean, I've read some certain things, and but the reaction is you have to be bigger uh, than the person out there yelling the derogatory re- remarks at this point, even if it invades your your personal space. And and I have been around it, and it's and it's tough because you. Try to put yourself if you were in that position uh but fans have a right to boo and cheer i i just think in my opinion i don't think they have a right to get so personal and so full of hate right. uh we're, we're we're just it's it's just not respectful that that's all i mean it's it's, it's beyond the the sporting element of the game or the sport chris myers from the nfl on fox so you've been around baker mayfield in his career and now because they wanted to go in the deshaun watson direction which they have the right to do he's the odd man out with his option contract and what they owe him, and he probably doesn't play for Cleveland or report to Cleveland. It looks like Seattle and Carolina are the front runners here. Chris, I'm a Baker guy, as I've told you and we've talked about in the past. I don't think his career, his career should be defined by four years. He's had really good years, and he played injured last year. How do you think the media is covering this overall and Baker handling this? And I think Carolina's the spot for him. It's a smaller, quieter market. Maybe he can go in there and help that team. And if Matt Rule doesn't win, he's not going to keep his job that long. Tell me what you're thinking about Baker Mayfield and everything that's happening here. Yeah, and, you know, look, uh, even in Houston, I know they drafted the quarterback from uh, mm-hmm. in the third round who played last year and played pretty well in that. But, but I, I could see him fitting in, in someplace like that. I agree with you that his career is, is not over and shouldn't be defined. And he has to be healthy, first of all. He didn't develop like we thought he would. And i got to say, I, I kind of missed uh, – I, I thought he would be a more successful pro a, a lot sooner. Some of this has to do with the franchise, which has made its choice to go in a different direction. I think he has he felt uh, either misled or lied to his side of the story – so how he can handle it, uh, I know it's easy. It's an easy target to say, hey, you're doing too many progressive commercials instead of getting wins on the field. That's, again, a cheap shot from people. But, yes, I'm with you. I, I think he can still play, and whether it's a place like Seattle or uh, Carolina or somewhere else in the, in the NFL that, you know, I know the Steelers went with the Mitchell Trubisky. They're, they're, even New Orleans has Jameis Winston. But there's teams that they're just, you could tell by the way they went after Deshaun Watson, that they're just, even Washington with Carson Wentz, are they that sure of their quarterback, uh, certainly not a place like Philadelphia, but there are still teams out there uh, that I that I think would be ready, and, and we don't have this draft is very disappointing in terms that there'll be a lot of talent, but but not that instant game changing kind of talent, at least not at the quarterback level, and so that's why I think Baker should stay in play. And, and I'm still amazed, you know, we we thought the previous year or two when quarterbacks changed. I mean, obviously we had Brady come back, which was an important element, but but a Matt Ryan going to Indianapolis, right? So the Colts are going to try again after Wentz and. 
at Philip Rivers to get to get that veteran, and they have a very good team around them. You know, what's happening is Trey is Lance the guy now in San Francisco? Is he is he not? Is Garoppolo going to be healthy? I think most of us thought he would be uh, traded, and I think it benefits San Francisco to hang on to him, regardless what the situation is, if he'll play there another year to make sure Lance is their guy and he can help them because they're a good enough team to get back to the playoffs and maybe make a run. Where's the Kyler Murray situation going? And you know, uh, even in Baltimore, that you know, are they, is that going to be worked out? I'm sure it is, but there's there's some uncertainty there with the salaries that we've seen and the kind of shifting and of course the the big move of Russell Wilson to Denver, which has tipped the scales. But but I'm with you. The biggest holes right now are are uh, Atlanta and Carolina. They they need quarterback. I mean, there's Mariota there. And, and Carolina has what they've tried with Sam Darnold, and, and maybe he's got something left too. Uh, but I, I think that's you know those are the spots that need to be filled, and, and I would like to see Baker Mayfield get a chance somewhere if he's healthy. Follow Chris Myers on all of his platforms, especially Instagram. Finally, I saw a recent tweet of you with Bill Murray. You're on the back of a golf cart, and you know I think about the stories you shared with me with the friendship. I just watched Belushi, the documentary, the complete documentary on John Belushi, it was fascinating to see Bill Murray there as a very, very, very young Bill Murray comedian and his start on Saturday Night Live to work with Belushi and Aykroyd. And now as he's your great friend, he's still putting out amazing comedy, movies, and I just like how he picks his projects. Some of them are eclectic and different, a lot of independent films, but tell us what it's like to be around him when you're with him, especially in and around a sporting event. Yeah, and well, and he's a very knowledgeable uh, sports fan. Very excited about the Cubs. Didn't have great anticipation this year about how how good they might be, but likes the the early start. He's a big golf fanatic, as, as you know, and close to the game. But it, it's funny that you mentioned that because we were out to dinner the other night, and and that's somebody had asked him about some of the people he came up with. You know, Chevy Chase, and and which you know they bury. There's no hard feelings there now, and, and different people. And the one person he said that stood out. In, in terms of that he thought was comedic genius made it was the funniest of all was Belushi and he just said uh, yeah. he could he could hardly even describe why he was so funny but that that it that some people have yeah his, his movie uh, is called Being Mortal and it's from a book it's actually a very serious role and it was funny he was out in in Calabasas at the motion picture it's 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 the retirement center for people in the industry uh when they go uh, there's a hospital on the grounds and they want to retire mm-hmm. certain certain celebrities over the years have retired and uh, in their late stages of health there and, and when he called and said he was there I was like hey is everything okay and he said no I'm doing a movie it's on location here in this spot about that and he said I want to make sure I take some time in between shooting to talk to the to some of the people here and a lot of them are behind the scenes that, that have aged over time producers directors agents that have committed uh, their time and their careers their health is, is failing and they don't get out much that, but he wanted to kind of talk to them and, and so we, we did he, he did a little uh, Q&A uh, with them and they asked a lot of the same kinds of questions about you know people through the years that he worked with and how he's kind of gone uh, JT from a very funny guy I mean he still is very funny in person when you hang out with him and he loves to interact with people um, but but he's also gotten into some serious roles of, of, of you know in, in, in doing movies of uh, you know a frustrated old actor or an aging uh, person or you know an angry brother whatever and, and he kind of likes that challenge but at his heart he's he's very much a, a funny guy broken flowers believe it or not was one of the movies and one of the roles that he said he liked the most when when people asked him about all the different movies that, that he's done through the years we cover it all thank you for your friendship and coming on always chris appreciate it we'll find you at the next nascar race and get ready and talk to you after the draft the draft's in vegas that'll be big here yes. maybe there'll be some surprises we can recap 
Yeah, there'll be a lot with your Raiders and Derek Carr signing. And and Sunday, Talladega, by the way, the broadcast on Fox, Dale Earnhardt Jr. from NBC is going to join our Fox crew on the pre-show and be part of the broadcast with with Clint Boyer and our crew. Uh, So that should be Talladega. You go to another super speedway after the short track at Bristol. But, yeah, still a lot of NFL to discuss at any time. I always like catching up with you. Thanks, Chris. Chris Myers, and he's right about that. Got to get that in. Talladega, maybe the best super speedway race, even better than Daytona. Daytona 500's the first race. But we'll talk NASCAR as Vegas gets a second race, and this year Vegas gets a playoff race, which will be huge. And depending on what the Raiders' schedule looks like and what football looks like, can't wait to get out there for that. Busy show in a bunch of different directions. Warren Moon, Chris Mannix, Chris Myers. Not bad as we continue on. Q on deck. I think Vinny coming off a of vacation soon in the draft a week from Thursday. And we'll tell you and we'll continue to tell you. Keep it. I hope you have the Raider Nation radio app at LV Sports Network. And if you follow us on Twitter, you'll find out all about our draft coverage coming up. Brought to you by Modelo. Do you want to play football? Absolutely. I mean, that's without question. To your point, what you saw out here, that's five years of training behind the scenes to make sure I'm ready and stay ready at the highest level. You don't do that if you don't, if you don't have a passion and you don't believe you're going to find, find a way on that field. That's Colin Kaepernick, and we are back on Raider Nation Radio as we wrap up the show here. Hope everybody's doing well. Beautiful day out here as we count down to the NFL Draft which will be a week from Thursday. You just heard from Colin Kaepernick. He was on the I Am Athlete podcast with Chad Ochocinco and Brandon Marshall. So again, I've evolved on Colin Kaepernick. I was on the day after when I had my local show in San Francisco on 95-7 The Game. I went on the day after he took a knee, and I went nuts. I went nuts. I was against it because I'm an anthem guy, and I would never take a knee. But I evolved on that situation. I would still never take a knee. That's just me. But I understand it, and I've evolved with Colin Kaepernick. So initially, I'm, I, I don't have the same opinion as I had the first time. Okay, I, I, I'd stand for the anthem. That's what I do. He chose to do what he did. But then when we get to back to him as a football player, it's a very important topic for our audience here because the Raiders are in the market for a backup quarterback. Right? They brought in two. They think the two will compete maybe for one job. Colin Kaepernick should be a backup quarterback in this league. His skill set is pretty amazing, but he hasn't played in five years. And it's because he has a lot of projects outside of football. Okay, and he has been a martyr. And what's going to happen to him long term if he wants to go on speaking engagements, if he comes back to the NFL and doesn't make a team? Will that change him? I don't think it'll change him as an activist and what he wants to do the rest of his life. The rest of his life, he's running out of time to play football. He has to think about the rest of his life and what's he going to do for his foundation, social injustice, and all of that. So I don't think Colin Kaepernick wants to play football. I think he'd like to if someone offered him a job, but you got to work for it. And he's probably worked for it, and he probably deserves a backup position. I just don't know. Pete Carroll doesn't give it to him now in Seattle with Geno Smith and no Baker Mayfield, then he's not going to get a job. I mean, Seattle should be perfect for Colin Kaepernick, and he still has to fight for that opportunity. I hope he comes back into the league as a backup, and if he proves himself, maybe he's a starter someday. Thanks to all of our guests. Bobby, 
Bobby threads the needle every day putting this show together. Give him a lot of credit, working with the best in the business. Have a great day, everybody. Q coming up next. He'll have it, and he'll get you ready for the draft also. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our proud partners who put us on the radio every day. Have a great day. 